0: Hi and welcome to the Media Podcast, I'm Matt Deacon. On the show this week, how dependent is the UK on the streamers and Hollywood? MPs have been hearing the evidence. Also on the programme, Channel 4 say they are picking up the pace on commissions. But is it enough? All that plus Jamie Lang has big podcast ambitions, a rare win for local radio, and in the Media Quiz, uh, we weigh up the good news from the bad. That's all coming up on this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week ITV's lineup for I'm a celebrity get me out of here is shaping up nicely alongside Nigel Farage you may have missed Britney Spears' sister journalist Grace Dent and EastEnders actress Danielle Harold. the first episodes on Sunday uh, two more complaints have been made to the BBC against comedian Russell Brand when he hosted a Radio 2 show this brings the total number of complaints against him to the broadcaster to five uh, Brand has been publicly accused of rape and sexual assault allegations uh, things that he'd he nice. And the Wickers is now accepting submissions for next year's Podcast Pitch Award. The winner will receive £5,000 towards production, and the runner-up gets two k. The deadline to submit your ideas is the 25th of February. Now, joining me at the London Podcast Studios, uh, we have, making her media podcast debut, it's the media leaders, Ella Sagar. Hello! Hi! Uh, <laughs> lovely to have you here. Um, now, the Hollywood strikes are over, and the impact is only now starting to be felt, particularly in the lack of new shows being released. But there's been lots of impacts because of uh, the writer's strike. How has it impacted some of the glossy ads that we see uh, around London?
2: Yeah, I thought it it was an interesting idea of obviously the films and TV um, productions being delayed would impact uh, obvious things, TV, cinema, streamers. uh, But I thought Out of Home, which is one of my beats, would also be affected. Mm. I did a little digging into this and, and they kind of found that it was, there were minor declines for JC to, for Clear Channel UK, and it was a flat year-on-year media entertainment for the first half of the year. But what, from the agency sources I was speaking to, they were saying actually next year is gonna be where you see that real impact, and that's gonna be across all media. So I know we are used to the glossy ads on, on buses, on the tubes, on IMAX, and there's lots of TV series and other films either being canceled, even when they're kind of completely finished Mm. or being pushed back. And that is maybe not so much like a no revenue, kind of everyone panic situation, but like it might just be pushed down the road. So there's that adding on to the uncertainty that's already in the ad market. Uh,
0: We love a bit of media uncertainty. (laughs) Uh, And also joining us down the line, I think from Falmouth, uh, is Deadline's Jake Cantor. Hi, Jake. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Are you on a uh, a big investigations, or are you just on your holes?
3: I'm not. I'm not in Falmouth. It's just a reminder of my university days that poster. So, oh. uh, which is always welcome. Um, digging away on stuff as always. Uh, the strike has been keeping us very busy. Unfortunately, it's had a significant impact here in the UK. You know, when America sneezes, Britain gets a cold. But people are very relieved that it's over and are looking forward to getting back to work because. You know, it has significantly impacted production here in the UK. And I don't think we're going to see a full return to strength until the new year.
0: Uh, well, you've been busy uh, working on uh, some investigations, uh, particularly around arts ed, which I guess if uh, viewers and listeners don't know, is a, um, it's like a college for, for, for drama students, isn't it? And there's been a bit of trouble there.
3: That's right. It's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a very highly esteemed drama school former alumni include uh, Julie Andrews and Catherine Zeta-Jones and it has significant support from Andrew Lloyd Webber. He is the president of the school uh, and uh, has funded it to the tune of millions of pounds in the past. Um, I've been working on a sort of series of stories about the culture and climate at drama schools for uh, the past few months and uh, that's been looking at uh, misconduct, sexual misconduct, uh, bullying, harassment, discrimination within these, you know, institutions, which are factories for world-class acting talent, and my uh, investigative work took me to ArtsEd, and it's sort of been held up uh, as uh, an example of a school which is experiencing particular difficulty at the moment, uh, and there is a lot of anger and. Uh, uh unease about uh, the principal at the school a woman called Julie Spencer i've spoken to more than 20 people who have had you know direct interactions with with uh with spencer and uh she has been accused of bullying and misconduct and generally of keeping uh well creating an unsafe space for students now the school strongly strongly refutes those allegations uh and says that uh, it has worked to create a better environment for those students over the past few years.
0: And have you had more people coming, coming out of the woodwork uh, since the since the story dropped?
3: Yeah, I've not had a response to the story quite like it, to be honest. Um, yeah, I've written lots of sensitive pieces in the past and uh, and involved pieces, but I had more than 50 people get in contact with me after we published. Um uh, all with fresh allegations, um, which we are examining it.
0: Well, you can catch up with the story at Deadline.com. Uh, now, the Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee have been holding an inquiry into high-end TV and film production in the UK. The aims to understand what tax breaks can do to impact the wider economy. Um, Jake, Amazon were quite bullish in their submission, weren't they?
3: Yeah, we're, so we're right at the start of this process now. Uh, the Culture Select Committee has been inviting written submissions, and has just started publishing some of them before uh oral evidence which we'll see over the next few weeks i should imagine um it's been really welcomed by the industry this this inquiry and you can see that in the level of response that they've had i don't think they've published every submission and there are tens of them I mean, i've never seen so many for a for a, a parliamentary inquiry um and we're just sort of getting a flavor of where they see the industry going over the next few years and it's very rare you hear from companies like amazon um talking specifically about the uk it's it's quite unusual and their submission is definitely bullish they want to see the uk preserved as a you know a really attractive place to house their productions like uh you know the the new Lord of the rings series uh, which they've just shot in the uk um, but they're saying that the market is hyper-competitive and the UK could lose its advantage at any point to other territories. And it needs to make sure that the incentives are there for big studios to carry on making shows here in the UK.
0: They want some of that government cash uh, Ella, 92% of the spend was from foreign investment, according to the, the BFI. And I guess, as we've seen with the strike, that can have a real impact on people's lives. Is there anything the government can do to make the industry more secure, or is this just keeping the cash flowing?
2: Hey, I was wondering uh, what the other territories were. I was quite curious where Amazon was kind of uh, obliquely referring to that were making themselves more attractive and what that looks like, and whether it is that kind of those the the workforce and kind of because there is a bit of a drain on that on that in terms of i think this is also kind of tied up with the strikes is that it's kind of made some people reconsider is this like a viable area to sort of skills and and talent yeah talent tech as well right and whether that is is something and i think obviously and then obviously money
0: did you see the stat that warner brothers submitted um about the barbie bounce
2: Oh, I hadn't seen this. Did you you see
0: this, Jake? Um, Apparently, Barbie contributed over 80 million in direct spend to the local economy and created 685 jobs during its production in the UK. It is surprising how much of an impact uh, a TV show or film can have. But they're sort of like mini multinationals, aren't they? You know, things that are spending 50, 60 million uh, pounds. It's it's a lot of cash to, to, to come into the country.
3: Barbie bounces is, is a great phrase. Well done, Matt. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think, um, yes, yeah, so I saw someone on Twitter saying, oh, Barbie pays a tax, uh, which, is, you know, <laughs> which is also fun. Barbie was an absolute phenomenon, and we are seeing it in the numbers. And um, it just goes to show uh, how important the creative industries are to the UK economy. Uh, the government says that it recognises that. And I'm sure they'll be watching this inquiry very closely.
0: Well from one digital streamer to another urgent questions have been raised about Apple in the US after lawmakers there expressed concern over the cancellation of Jon Stewart's Apple TV show last month uh, Ella what's the issue with this one?
2: Well I think from my very surface level understanding it's that kind of you know you want, you want your shows to be making headlines but not anything that's too controversial and that reflects back on, on them So, uh, and especially when the U.S. relationship with China is uh, strained, should we say? So, it's, so, uh, so this
0: was John Stewart was sort of caught saying to his staff that it was sort of cancelled because they weren't very comfortable about some of the stories, particularly about China or places that maybe Apple need to keep sweet.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think um, obviously all of these kinds of Apple and uh, companies like that are always looking at potential markets mm. uh, that they want to go into. And so if 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 that was kind of going to come across and maybe alienate that hu- a huge market, again, coming down to money, um, then then that could be problematic for them.
0: Jake, it's not the first time that a Hollywood studio would have some issues uh, with China. Um, is this a, an edict from Apple or was it just something that, not maybe a bit more than conclusions being jumped to, uh, but it, it was as if Tim Cook sent a memo saying, no mentions of China, or did he?
3: Uh, well. I don't know if I if I had that memo, I would be writing a story right now rather than speaking to you because it would be it would be gold dust. Um, uh, but it's no, I mean, look, we Apple hasn't commented officially and rarely does. To be honest, it's a it's a very um, tight-lipped company. at The best of times. Um, what we do know is that they take a very careful approach to commissioning. They are very considered in the shows and the films that they invest in. Um, And we know that Tim Cook takes a keen interest in what is coming out of Apple TV+. And look, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, they are looking at shows like Jon Stewart's and weighing it up very carefully in terms of uh, the benefits that it provides subscribers versus any potential issues that it creates in what is, you know, not just a key market uh, in terms of consumers, but clearly a lot of Apple's technology comes from China uh, and production capability. uh, And therefore, this is a really delicate issue.
0: It's one of those things where, I mean, the show hasn't done that well. It hasn't really kind of, cut across the world like the daily show did there's a bit of me that thinks is this john stewart sort of hedging his bets slightly <laughs> about the, the future of the pro it's like oh it's editorial implications whereas maybe just the show was probably on on the way out anyway
2: mm. yeah i can't say i've watched it because i don't have apple tv plus and maybe that's the thing is that it is that it kind of segmented it's not going out to like as big an audience
3: it's created some amazing viral moments on on twitter spe- uh, specifically in fact in fact i think that's the main way i've consumed it yeah, you've got these fabulous interrogations where john stewart pulls apart american politicians and does what he does best and yeah, you know, it would be a shame if we lost that uh, because this show isn't being made anymore. So
0: last week we talked about James Corden and his new podcast. Uh, now, uh, Jamie Lang from Made in Chelsea, uh, he's got some podcast ambitions too. Obviously a prolific podcaster, uh, but his own podcast network, Jampot, uh, has signed to UTA. Um, Ella, I mean, talent-run podcast, there's lots out there, mm. but very few have sort of become networks. i was sort of thinking maybe Rob Beckett and Josh Whittacombe, they've yeah. got kind of Keep It Light. Do if there's any other do you think this is good for him to try and to try and turn himself into a bit of a studio
2: i was thinking about what the benefits are for both sides and i guess uh a kind of parallel i would i would see it slightly different but i'm gonna go for it anyway is elizabeth day going with sony music and entertainment and she was previously independently kind of produced and did all all of it herself and that actually going with that network gives her what she was saying at the iab podcast up front was um, you know, the promotion, the marketing and that kind of kind of force behind her. And maybe that's what uh, Jamie Lang's thinking when he's got multiple podcasts and he's now with this talent agency that it kind of has a strength in numbers kind of thing.
0: I mean, podcasting, it's a bit of a, a tougher market than it was uh, a year or two ago. Uh, Jake, this does give him scale, doesn't it? It give, gives him, um, more fingers in more pies if he's responsible for more shows a lot of which are kind of with the sort of jamie lang cinematic universe of characters uh from from made in chelsea and similar shows
3: but why not i mean if it works if if there is an audience for those reality tv stars i mean they would probably bristle at that moniker um uh, it's <laughs> constructed reality isn't it <laughs> um uh, but that's what they are fundamentally and i think that you know Jamie Jamie Lang is clearly a bit of an entrepreneur you know he runs his uh sweet company candy kittens and um i think he's i think he's the heir to mcvitties or what like he's got some yes. connection yeah. to the mcvitties di- dynasty um so this clearly runs in his blood and um yeah we're seeing A lot of British producers sign up with uh, big American agents in in the podcasting world. This feels like kind of the next step in that. And I mean, look, Whatever you think of Made in Chelsea and Jamie Lang, he's clearly good talent uh, and audiences uh, resonate with uh, his, his style. That's for sure.
2: Strictly Come Dancing finalist as well. <laughs> Very so important. I, so Very important. That. Yeah,
3: that's massively important.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: if he's got the biscuit money, why is he taking all of our podcast cash? Anyway, we'll ponder <laughs> that. We'll have to take a break. Uh, we'll see you after this.
3: My Top 10 TV is a new podcast that invites a special guest each week to walk through their ultimate Top 10 TV list. Crime shows, comedies, dramas, game shows, reality and so much more. Each list is unique. So far, Boyd Hilton, Hugo Rifkin, Lauren Morris, Kellyanne Taylor and this week, the media podcast host Matt Deegan have compiled their ultimate list. You can send in your own list and we'll read them out on the show. My Top 10 TV. Get it now, wherever you get your podcasts. My Top 10 TV podcast is a You're On Mute original production.
0: welcome back Uh, Ella and Jake are here with me Uh, we've been doing some top fact checking about this McVitie's stuff and Jamie Lang that we talked about before the break Uh, Jamie is the great great grandson of Sir Alexander Grant, first baronet who in in 1892 invented the McVitie's digestive biscuit he has since said, this is Jamie, not the dead baronet, uh, I'm not heir to anything. People always talk about this. I don't know where this has come from. So either it's secret biscuit money or maybe we've jumped to conclusions and he does need to run his own podcast network. All cleared up. Um, okay, uh, both Channel 4 and the BBC have been talking up commissions this week. The Beeb's content chief, Charlotte Moore, was at the Belfast Media Festival, championing Blue Light and other nor- Northern Irish productions. Uh, And Ian Katz off of Channel 4 has said his team are picking up the pace on commissioning. Uh, Jake, would that be the feeling of freelancers that they've picked up the pace?
3: Uh, No, is the short answer. Freelancers and uh, producers are, I mean, it's quite difficult. I I was trying to summarize this before coming on the show, but it's very difficult to articulate the level of anger there is in the UK market at the moment about Channel Four. Um, producers are absolutely furious with what's going on there at the moment. They don't feel like they're being communicated to properly. Uh, they think the channel is not spending its money efficiently. Um, in fact, it's not spending money at all. Really, I, I, you know, a lot of people would deny that there is much commissioning spend at all at the moment at Channel 4. Shows are being moved from this year to next year, and now they're being moved from next year to 2025. Um, There is a feeling that um, Channel 4 is desperate to turn a surplus this year in what has been a really difficult year in terms of the ad market. And there is suspicion among producers that it is doing that for political reasons. The political reasons being that, obviously, Channel 4... Made a big play of its sustainability as part of its argument against privatization, and if it posts a loss in its first year uh, since uh, its future was secured, then that the optics of that aren't particularly great. Uh, so there's this there's this theory doing the round among producers that it's it's so desperate, so desperately scrambling to 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 post the surplus that. Um, these decisions are having an impact on others, and there's there's a sort of general sense that it should break the glass on its uh, revolving credit facility. This seventy five million pound credit facility that has, but I mean that's clearly not going to happen. Um, and I, I would say increasingly there's sort of an overwhelming sense that um, producers want regime change at Channel Four. They think it needs a creative renewal. They want to see a new chief executive. They want to see a new uh, chief content officer. Uh, there's no indication that that's gonna happen anytime soon. There's been waves of speculation about Alex Mahon and, and Ian Katz's future, um, but for now they're both uh, staying put. And you know, there's an argument that says that they should because Channel 4's in a tight spot and um, it wouldn't be great for their legacies if they jump ship now.
0: There is that danger, isn't there, that um, trying to to look good for government could cause trouble for their uh, for them ongoing. Uh, also, that, that a lot of them had uh, lock-ins, didn't they, over the over this period, um, which obviously the government thought at one point they were going to kind of put them up for sale. So I guess that that'll expire at some point too. So it'd be interesting if the confluence of of that feeling from the sector uh, meeting their um, contractual changes uh, prompt some change, I suppose.
3: Yeah, I mean, Channel 4 will argue that, well, it would certainly reject the allegation that this is politically motivated. They would say that uh, this is just cyclical ad market difficulties. There was some optimism over the summer that things would improve in the second half of this year. All indications suggest that that is not happening that the ad market is not bouncing back in the way that some broadcasters hoped it might so uh, you're in this situation where is where where does that leave channel 4 I mean if it's not if things are not improving and commissioning is still incredibly slow um, producers are obviously going to be really frustrated and um, yeah the, the the level of frustration is palpable
0: BBC journalists agreed on Tuesday to end a months-long clash over job cuts. Uh, this comes after the BBC announced in October it would slash nearly 140 local radio jobs. Um, Ella, what's been happening with this?
2: Yeah, so it was kind of a part of that move to go more digital and share all of the this programming across different local radio stations. And so you wouldn't need to use as many like producers mm. presenters etc
0: well no one's really happy
2: about no it no one would be happy about that but
0: the what what of the unions
2: sort and of- the unions so what the unions were really trying to argue for is arguing against those kind of compulsory redundancies and pausing of like the local sharing of local news bulletins because that's the main reason people listen to local radio is you want your local weather traffic travel mm. and news and then income protection as well because then you just won't be left high and dry so that was a those are the few sticking points in in the reason why they were calling for strike action and part of the agreement that I think um 70 there was 70 percent of NUJ members that voted agreed on this deal.
0: I mean Jake it's it's been quite a tough time for the Teams and BBC local Radio, and also it's, it's just dragged on a huge amount of time. Yeah, um, it's all been it's all been negative. Is this a a little bit of, of positivity uh, in this story? Um, does this mean the BBC can sort of kind of get on with their plans, and that this is the last sort of argument that they've that they faced?
3: Um, I mean, it's been an incredibly grueling dispute. Um, you know, the first strikes took place in March, but the arguments over whether this is the right plan stretch stretch back well beyond that i do think it's really it, it's a good thing that this is uh that you know there's some agreement now you know the nuj have national union of journalists have talked about safeguards for jobs and uh and income protection for for members so look, look those are clearly positive things but i, I really do think the jury, jury is out on whether this has been the right decision by the BBC. The industrial action is over, but the argument over whether this is the right plan will continue, I think. And it, talking about local radio, but this is the BBC's strategy overall. They are taking money out of traditional broadcasting and putting it into digital. So this is, you know, this dispute, it could be portentous to, you know, future disputes. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see industrial action in other areas across the BBC. I mean, this was the first major strike at the BBC since 2010, uh, and it could signify others. And then there's the other thing, which is audiences. You know, audiences are still unhappy about these changes. There was a piece in The Observer over the weekend from Tara Condon, which set out really well all the various issues around the around the country. You know, a, a, a listener boycott in Kent... Uh, you know, complaints about scheduling changes, you know, Ofcom concerns about a lack of transparency about the way that these things are being communicated. Um, so this is far from done.
0: Ofcom have sort of ignored a lot of it uh, and you could argue haven't even entirely followed the rules that they should be following in looking into BBC changes. They seem to have woken up a little bit over the past uh, few weeks, whether that's political pressure or, or, or other pressure on them. Um, so I think there is kind of more to, this, more to this story still to come. I think the listener side is interesting. Uh, most of that is driven by uh, listeners losing like their favourite presenters and is sort of less about you know localization realization and i would still imagine the vast majority of listeners don't even hear that on air uh, but they have lost a lot of people that they that they enjoyed listening to so um i think there's, there's all of that sort of still to come i mean every time i look at it and i've been through a lot of these in commercial radio um commercial radio changes happen very very quickly uh, and if you had to do horrible things you sort of did them sort of within a week or two, sometimes all on the same day, where they're rolling out changes uh, in regions, region by region. So it's that kind of constant drumbeat of another beloved breakfast show presenter has said goodbye or or, or got mean on, on social media. So I think a lot of it's just been handled uh, incredibly badly. But again, it, the story continues to roll on because uh, the changes are just taking so long uh, to happen.
3: The BBC can't win, can it? Because if it moved quickly and was... Uh, sacking people all in one go you know it would be accused of being like ridiculously ruthless and uh, regarding broadcasting legacies all over the country and so I do have some sympathy with the BBC it finds it very difficult to make cuts but it's not got a lot of choice because its funding has been frozen and therefore uh, you know is uh, has fallen in real terms and you know these these difficult decisions are only going to become more they're only going to become more regular as as, uh, as things move forward. I, th-
0: I mean, Ella, there's sort of a local media challenge in this mm-hmm. as well, isn't there? The local newspapers face uh, kind of similar cuts or changes. Commercial mm-hmm. radio has changed a lot of how how they operate. I mean, the local media landscape
2: is so different. Mm. And and just to go to your point, Jake, about what you're saying, the BUC can't get it. Get it right or wrong, they they kind of lose either way. It's like well, when Ken Bruce left uh, to go to to Bauer, and they said, "Oh, you're, you're this is your last show," and and that felt really brutal after he'd been there for thirty seven years, and it was all, and he wasn't even kind of given like proper sort of time to wrap everything up. Um, so that I think is an an example of maybe where the opposite happened, and they were kind of maybe a bit too hasty. Um, as for local papers it is interesting like reach newsquest are the two biggest um news kind of publisher, publishers and reach is revenues down 6% i think uh, newsquest in an interview today on press gazette was the ceo was saying that their revenues for last year were up 3% but this year were down 3% and actually that is stability that's mm. a big win for them it is really challenging. And especially when Google, Facebook, uh, their attitude towards news has shi- is, and that shifted, is really shifted. Mm. Meta is deprecating news and, you know, not saying that it doesn't add to their platform. It's only 3% of people's time on the platform. And, and a story that my colleague Jack covered re- uh, this week was that a Columbia research study found that Google and Meta would owe Publishers $12 billion, and that's just in the US. If, if they, they paid them the fair value. Mm of what they bring to their platforms and things like that which Google and Meta obviously refuted in very strong terms yeah it was
0: interesting also the Adam Mosseri the boss of Instagram and Threads was saying uh, I'm not that bothered about news being on Threads Mm. Uh, and that's a big shift to what they've done previously Mm -hmm. Uh, right I think we've just got enough time uh, for the media quiz Uh, this week it's entitled all publicity good publicity (laughs) Uh, I'll give you a media stat from the week and you tell me if it's a good news story or a bad news story for the brand in question um, uh, best of three and an excellent unfair advantage to Ella who, who has no delay because in the studio uh, you've got to buzz in with your name if you think you know the answer so, so Jake you'll say
3: Jake no I did that on purpose I, I mouthed Jake <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, and Ella you'll say Ella Let's play. All publicity is good publicity, right? Question number one: Disney Plus's Barb rating of twenty-seven point three million. Oh, Jake's buzzed in. Good news or bad news?
3: Well, I, I, I mean, I should know the answer to this because I wrote the story. <laughs> so I, mean, <laughs> I think it's good news because <laughs> it was their best. It was their best ever week. Well, their best week of the year, certainly, uh, and uh, their best week as far as Barb records go back which isn't yes the last that's year. correct uh,
0: it, it, it's the it's, it's the best since Barb started reporting audience research and audience reach figures for streaming services a year ago so it's good news uh, for Disney do you expect numbers to go up or down over the next year
3: I, I think we're probably at peak Disney I don't I, maybe I mean look they, they'll, they'll all get a bump over Christmas because they always do mm. um, with people at home watching streaming services and on their new devices yeah um, but yeah, I mean, look, it, it sort of depends what what content they've got on. I think they've
2: got Colleen Rooney right now.
3: Exactly. I think so that you know the Colleen. I don't think there's a coincidence there, right? I think the Colleen Rooney documentary really resonated with the UK viewers, and therefore they've had an increase in in audience as a result of that. And it's the same with Netflix. They had the David Beckham documentary. Lo and behold, UK viewers you know flocked to Netflix.
0: Ella, are you a Disney Plus subscriber?
2: I am. Uh, I got it initially in the pandemic because I was going to watch, I watched all the Star Wars and all the spin-offs mm. Mm. with a friend. Um, but what I find uh, with the David Beckham and the and the Colleen Rooney content on Netflix and Disney Plus is that the appeal, especially for David Beckham, actually is not just the football fans. It's not just mm. the gossip, wag kind of fans for for the Wagatha Christie. It's so, it's wider than that. And so most of the people that seem to like the david beckham series in particular so much are not football fans in any way shape or form and uh, which just fascinates me
0: uh yeah i think it's got a, it's got a good chance but i think um uh, all the streaming services are going to have to work harder to retain uh, all their subscribers uh okay point to you jake uh question number 2 uh good news or bad news uh uk tv exports of 1.85 billion ella ella yeah so good news or bad news I
2: think good news is it's highest ever but I think next year, to preface it, would be next year, probably not so good.
0: Yes, you're you're right. Uh, it's at the highest uh, level. Uh, it's up 22% on the previous year.
2: I think also just to add to that, that the um, US was the biggest market for exports, but it was only up 3% year on year. So there was, because I wrote the story. Do we know, do we know where else <laughs> so, that stuff's going to? Um, it's quite interesting that uh, Germany and Spain um Poland Italy all had more than 20% growth year on year but these export figures they only have them going back to 2017 and so it did obviously have a massive dip in the pandemic mm. and as you would expect but um I think uh Asia was a big area for for growth um and uh there are a few other kind of they're trying to figure out what genres particularly do well because at the moment it's like scripted drama
0: mm. but But also you've got two kind of mega companies in ITV studios and BBC studios Mm -hmm. that can drive a lot of this Mm -hmm. as well now.
2: And finally, question number three,
0: a drop to listens of 10% in Q4. Good news or bad news?
2: Ella. Ella. Well, well, it depends. (laughs) (laughs) Tell Uh, us why it depends. So so this is about the iOS 17 update, uh, which impacts podcast listening. And so this would affect specifically referring to ACAST. Yeah, so they issued
0: a report, didn't they, that their their listens were down. And And it was in
2: their quarterly earnings. Mm. And it was something that Ross Adams, the CEO, specifically called out and referred to. And it kind of to reassure people, like, listens will go down in the short term, but in the long term, this is good for the industry. Mm. It will mean more accurate um sort of representation of consumer behavior this is better for advertisers this is good for measurement and and i like that that positive spin but i think actually talking to other people in the market uh they were it was they were quite positive about how it what it means for measurement and actually accurately knowing what what people yeah, so podcast it, behavior this is. This is
0: like Apple, this is iOS. It sort of unsubscribes you if you don't listen mm. and sort of the and changes. And
2: download are, automatically. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yes, um, I think the timings of it are quite interesting. I think Pod News wrote an article saying maybe not, he wasn't entirely correct with what he was saying, mm. but it was pretty, pretty close. Mm. Uh, more, uh, I guess, at podnews.net. Mm. Uh, find out the details there. Jake, it's interesting, isn't it, uh, about those download numbers. Uh, the sector's still quite early days with how it, reports on this kind of stuff yeah
3: i mean to say to say something completely anodyne i mean we, we know how massive podcasts are i guess it's got to, you know if that translates into revenue then that's surely a good thing looking ahead no absolutely
0: absolutely I mean b- better figures gives more confidence uh, and then more money hopefully will come into the market and maybe sponsor the media podcast it's always an <laughs> option uh, well congratulations Ella a win on your first time uh, beginner's luck uh, we'll see if you can do that again another time when you come back uh, thank you to you both uh, thanks Jake thanks Ella where can people keep up uh, with you and your work
2: Ella so on the media leader um, I am the audio and out of home reporter on most, mostly uh, not that we don't cover other media uh we have newsletters and um, we also um, have a wonderful slate of events uh, if you want to come to any of those uh and yeah newsletters daily and twice a day on mondays and fridays uh
0: themedialeader.com
2: uh themedialeader.com i should know that yeah <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> we'll redirect you it's fine <laughs> uh, and jake uh,
0: how can people keep up with your writing
3: uh, i'm on deadline.com and i'm gonna plug my blue sky i've, I've not i've not really i've not really posted but it's at Jake Cantor.
0: But with A lot of journalists on Blue Sky. I feel that all the journalists might end up talking to themselves on Blue Sky whilst the rest of us are on threads.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's wrong with that? <laughs> uh, thank you both. <laughs> and that's it from us
0: today at the London Podcast Studios. Remember, you can get 25% off your first booking when you use the code MEDIAPOD at thelondonpodcaststudios.com. That's MEDIAPOD at thelondonpodcaststudios.com for 25% off. And if you're new to the show, why not hit follow and get us in your ears all year round? Do it in the app you're listening to right now uh, or go to podfollow.com slash The Media Podcast. My name is Matt Deegan. The producer was Matt Hill with support from Maya Cedar Lund. It was a Rethink Audio production and I'll see you next week. wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. So retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History?
2: Well, on Tuesday, the bizarre story of the Canadian quintuplets who became an international tourist attraction.
3: On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the recording of Bing Crosby's White Christmas. Yes, it really was in May.
2: On Thursday, the titan of chocolate who opened a theme park just for his employees.
3: And on Friday, we explain why cornflakes are meant to taste that bland. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. 10 minutes each weekday, wherever you get your podcasts.